0: Let's open our Bible to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, Ephesians chapter six. Uh, Last week we were in Ephesians chapter five and we were in verse six where Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he tells them, you were once partakers, you were once sons of disobedience, partakers with them. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And the exhortation Paul gives there in Ephesians 5.8 is to walk as children of light. And we're going to go ahead and go through the rest of this. We went from chapter 5 into chapter 6, where Paul is talking specifically about submission, walking as children of light. And he gives some real practical examples, remember, of husbands and wives, of children and parents, of of masters and slaves. We don't live in a society today where we necessarily identify, for instance, with masters and slaves. But yet the principle still applies. It applies naturally and it applies spiritually as well. And so you might think in terms of employer and employee. Uh, If you have uh, a job, if you own a business... You have employees or you are an employer, and the principle of submission is very important. In the family, the principle of submission is very important. In in the context of all of our relationships, the principle of submission is very important. So Paul says, submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. And so we went through that, and we came down to verse 10. And let's begin there, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And Paul says, finally, my brethren, that word finally in the Greek means now for the rest. And you see in this letter, Paul is laying out certain things that are very important for the believer to understand. How many of you understand this, that, our, that our, we are spiritual beings, we have a spiritual life, but, but we don't just live in the spirit and we don't pay any mind to our lives here in the natural I mean, we live real lives on a real earth with real people interacting in reality every day, right? And so we can't just say or have the attitude that we're just spiritual beings floating around on planet earth until we get to heaven one day and all this will just work out down here some way. It's not going to all just work out some way. Paul says, if you are light, walk as children of light. As you have received Christ, so Walk in him. If you have received the spirit of God and you are living in the spirit and you are living in the spirit, if you have received Christ, he says, so as you have received the spirit, walk in the spirit. And so we see that we have a responsibility. Amen. So let's let's let me begin again here. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Father, we thank you right now for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that your word is eternal. Heaven and earth may pass away, but Lord Jesus, you said my words will never pass away. We thank you for this eternal word. We thank you for this truth. That you have given to us. Father, we pray today that by your Spirit you would open our hearts and open our minds, enlighten the eyes of our understanding, Lord, that your truth would set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. So, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, before we go verse by verse here and look at this section of Scripture, we're going to go all the way down to. Um, to at least verse 18. I, I want to say something first. I, I want you to, and we're going to talk about this in detail, but I want you to understand that this particular section of Scripture, as with any section of Scripture, we can take these Scriptures and we can make them what they're not meant to be. And when we begin to talk about the, the armor of God, I want you guys to understand the armor of God is not, uh, it's not like a rabbit's foot that you carry with you. It's not a lucky charm you put on every day to protect you against the evil of the devil. This is not, this is not what this scripture is communicating. I lost my clip on my thing and it doesn't want to stay on my ear. So if this comes off, you all bear with me if I'm fidgeting here. Okay, it's not a lucky charm to just protect us from an evil devil that's out there and he's going to get us if we don't put our armor on every day. And so it's important for us to understand what Paul is communicating here in the Scripture. He's communicating a wonderful truth, a powerful truth for us to understand correctly in its context. And he's not telling us this. For us to be fearful, he's telling us this for us to be equipped and to be able to do something very specific, all right? And we find it here. Let's look at this verse again. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. And this is what we're going to talk about today, standing against. What, what this phrase really means in the life of the believer so let's, let's begin here in verse 10. Paul makes this statement, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Take your highlighter, take your pencil, and underline those places where it says, in the Lord. And as you do that through your New Testament, you're going to find that everything God has promised to us, remember, is found in one place, in one place only, and that is in the Lord. Be strong in the the Lord. So we have, it's important for us to understand that our strength is in the Lord, and our strength is in his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We have no strength outside of Christ. This is truth. You don't have any power to stand against a devil, or anything for that matter. You really don't. Anything. Any power or any strength you think you have to stand against anything outside of Christ or in yourself is nothing but a grand illusion. And God in his grace and mercy will allow you to come to the end of that illusion and to the end of yourself so that you will ultimately one day cry out to him and turn to him because it is in the Lord that you are strong. It is in the power of his might that we are able to. To stand and be strong. So we have no strength in ourselves. We're strong only in Him, and His power and His might do not operate separate from Him. So remember, I I, I talk about this all the time. Our life is not with Christ, not for Christ, it's in Christ. Anything I do with Christ or for Christ has got to be understood in the context that we are in Christ. And so I'm not here exercising God's power while Christ is over there doing whatever he's doing. I have no power outside of Christ. God doesn't lend me his power so I can go over here separate unto myself and do something that he wants me to do. Any more than your hand is going to leave your body to go and do something that it wants to do. There, there is a oneness and a connection that, that is understood and implied there. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So our strength is in Him. We have no strength outside of Christ. Our strength is in the person of the Lord. Look what it says. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. In Christ, in the person of Christ, His strength is resident. Why? Because He is Christ. Because He is the Lord. Because he is the mighty one. He is the powerful one. Christ is. And there is no power outside of him. So we're strong in him. Resident in the person of Christ. And our strength our strength is resident in him. So as we reside, abide, dwell in him, guess what? We are strong. In him, we are strong. Now, this should be good news for you. This should be great comfort because you're not out there trying to make it on your own. You were never meant, you were never created to make it on your own. You were created to live in fellowship. You were created to be a member, a part of the body of Christ. Your strength is in him. And your strength is in the power of His might. Our strength is in the power of His might. We are strong in Him and in the resources of His power and might. His power, the power that created the world around us, the power that opened blind eyes, the power that healed the lame, the power that caused Him to to rise out of that grave, You are strong in the Lord, in the person of Christ, but you are also strong in the power of his might that works mightily in you and towards you. So in him, it's not that in him we possess power. It's that in him we are possessed by his power and might. Do you see the difference? My hand doesn't possess any power in and of itself, but my hand is possessed by the power that's in my body to do what my head tells it to do. You don't possess any power, you are possessed by the Lord God Almighty, the God of power and might. He has caused you miraculously, supernaturally, to be in Him part of his body, a member of his body. So his power and might cannot be used apart from him any more than your hand can be used, can use the power of your body apart from your body or your head. So the reason I make that distinction, church, is for this because we really need to get out of this mindset that me and God live separate lives, that God's up in heaven observing my every move Wondering whether I'm, you know, he's watching to make sure I do everything right. And if I do something wrong, he's going to smack me. Well, you know, he's going to punish me. Because he's, he's just watching every move I make to make sure I do everything right. That's not who God is. God doesn't want to punish you. God wants to redeem you. He wants to save you. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. He wants to take that which was broken, and he wants to make it whole. Amen? Now, that might mean that you're going to be disciplined. That might mean that you're going to walk through some places in which God will discipline you. Don't confuse discipline with punishment, because he he doesn't want to punish you. He wants to discipline you. If you are veering off the path of righteousness, child of God... In his mercy and grace, he will discipline you. He will lead you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's his loving discipline that that brings us back to where we need to be. According to his will and according to his plan and purpose. Now, I'm getting there. I know y'all want to get to that armor part and start talking about how to beat up the devil and everything. But see, if we don't understand these, if we don't understand some foundational things, see, we just want to go to the part that seems fun and exciting to us. But but we don't have a proper foundation, so we don't really know what we're doing. We think we're doing something, but we're not really, we're really not doing anything. Shadow boxing. Paul says, I don't shadow box. All right, so. We are possessed by the might of his strength. We are members submitted to the head. Filled with the spirit, controlled by the spirit, submitted in submission to the spirit. So Paul says in verse 11 here, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor. That word put on. Means to endue or envelop with, to clothe, to hide in. It paints a picture of sinking into a garment. It's the same word. It's the same phrase used in Ephesians four twenty four. Look just a few verses over in chapter four. Ephesians four twenty four that you that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, how can I put on the new man? Well, God's got to create the new man, right? I can't put something on that doesn't exist. So before you think it's all up to you, you need to stop and realize you can't put anything on until God creates it. It, 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 But once you've been made a a new man, Paul says, "Put put on that new man. Now, that doesn't mean I'm putting on my salvation, but it means because I am saved. Because that is now my nature. Remember, last week, you once were darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light. In other words, put off the darkness and put on the light. If the light is in you, if the light is your nature, let the light come out. Let the light be seen. So put on the new man. Same thing in Colossians 3.12. If you look at Colossians 3.12, Paul says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved... Who's he talking to there? He's not talking to the world. The world can't do this. The world can't put on the new man. The world can't put on. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness and long suffering. You know why the world can't do that? Because those things, that's not the nature that they have. Those those things, kindness, humility, meekness, love, joy, peace. Those are the things that are consistent with the new man, the new nature Whose nature? The nature of Christ. The nature of the second man, Jesus Christ, the Lord from heaven. So if I have come to, by the grace and the power of God, if I have come to possess that new nature, and I am a new man, a new creation in Christ, Paul says, so put those things on. This is the same phrase that he's using here. Put on the whole armor of God. Clothe yourself with the whole armor of God. And the whole armor means our complete and sufficient equipping in Christ. You notice it says whole armor there. Because what God has given us is complete in Christ. He he didn't say, oh, I'm going to give you half the armor now and see how you do, and If you can handle it, then I'll give you the other half later. That's not the way God operates. What he has given us in Christ is complete. This is why Paul says to the Colossians, you are complete in him. He didn't say almost complete, three quarters complete. No, you are complete in him. So put on, believer, put on the whole armor of God. Understand that you have been given that which is complete and sufficient in Christ. We are to put it on. And why are we to put it on? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We are armed to stand, to stand against, that, that phrase literally means to hold your ground. Now, I know we want to run out there and go attacking the devil, right? Well, I'm out there. Well, that's, that's just a real good way to get into a lot of trouble. Because this scripture doesn't tell us to go out there and run ahead and attack anything. This scripture tells us to hold our ground. Who took the ground? No, who t- who took the ground back that we're supposed to hold? Christ did. Remember, Jesus said this in the Gospels. He said, "Occupy until I come." In one of the parables, be busy about the business of the. This is holding the ground. Hold, hold fast. Stand fast. Stand against. God has commanded us to put on the armor of God that we would be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So we're armed to stand against, to hold our ground. And this phrase, stand against, is is a phrase that's opposed to take flight in either direction. Don't, Don't retreat, don't advance. Hold your ground. This is what Paul is writing to the Ephesians here. And if we don't understand the armor in the context of what he's saying, then we're going we're we're to misunderstand what this armor represents and, and how important it is to us. So we're to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's a word we don't use very much anymore, right? It just simply means the, the tricks or the strategy or the deceit of the enemy. Stand against the the deceit, the trickery, the strategy of the enemy. We stand against the wiles of the devil, against his deceit and trickery. Remember Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against me. That word gates wasn't just speaking of a physical barrier. That word gates spoke of a place where strategy was developed. It was at the gates where the leaders of the city Would gather and they would make strategy. They would have counsel. And Jesus was just as much saying, the counsel and the strategy and the wiles of the enemy shall not prevail against the church. You guys know the enemy has a strategy for the church? He does. You think it's a big secret? It's not. He exposed his hand right in the very beginning in the garden. You know how he operates? His modus operandi is? It's deceit. It's deception. It's trickery. So we're not standing against this mighty army. We're armed to stand to hold our ground against the the wiles of the devil, the trickery, the strategy. We're not standing against a mighty force. We're standing against a defeated foe he is dangerous he's dangerous in that he can deceive and he will deceive When, when Paul says give no place give no place to the devil he's saying that because he doesn't want us to fall prey to his deception so we stand against, we hold our ground against the strategy, the deceit, the trickery of the enemy. We stand in the power of the Lord, not against the power and might of the devil, but against his trickery and deceit, against his strategy. All right? Then he says this, verse 12, For he's reminding us here who our enemy is, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, we don't have to go hunting devils. You know why? Because they're, they're, his, his strategy is all around us. We don't need to go try to find him somewhere and take him out. He is opposing us Constantly. We are standing against him constantly. You guys understand that? We don't, we don't need to be devil hunters. He's not hard to find. But we need to understand how he operates and what he does. Or, or if not, we're, we're, we're box in the air. We're shadow fighting. We're fighting a warfare that is, has no, to, it comes to no end. We're spending a whole lot of energy doing something that's making absolutely no difference if we don't understand the nature of our enemy and the nature of his opposition to us. Okay? Wrestle not. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up. The whole armor of God. Now, that phrase take up is different than the phrase put on. This phrase take up is a military phrase. It's a command. I mean, it's like a it's like your drill sergeant saying, take up that weapon, boy. What are you going to do? That was loud, wasn't it? (laughs) But if if, if you are a a Marine. Are you in the Army, the Air Force, the Navy and your drill sergeant? Snapped at you and said, take up that weapon. Sure, sure, Sarge, I'll get to it. I'll get to it a little bit, okay? You wouldn't answer him that way, would you? Because the tone of his command to you would, would, would tell you exactly how he wants you to take that thing up. That's the tone of this command. Take up, therefore, take up. It's a command to once and for all take up the armor. Why? Because we're in a battle. The armor is not your, it's not a magic, mystical, lucky charm you put on. This isn't like Greek mythology, you know. This is real. The thought here, Paul is writing, and the thought is, just like a soldier going into battle would not dream of going into battle without his armor, so you, believer, take up that armor, because you're in a battle. But understand the nature of the battle that you are in. So take up the whole armor of God. So we need to understand, Paul says, we wrestle not. That word wrestle is a Greek word that speaks of, a, uh, of, a, uh, of an athletic contest. Now, when we say wrestle, I don't know, do you all watch, watch wrestling? Rest, wrestling? I, I don't, I have never gotten into Wrestling? I had a friend one time who was convinced that stuff was real, and he got so mad at me because I told I I just I'm like appalled. I'm like, dude, don't tell me that you really believe that stuff is real. It's real. Said, You're not that stupid, right? (laughs) He, He got so upset with me that I challenged that that whatever whatever they call it, you know, is. World Wrestling Fed what a WWF or what that it's it's real. It's not real. That's as fake as it gets. But now this what Paul's talking about here this is real. Paul ain't talking about the WWF right here, okay? We ain't talking about Hulk Hogan or I don't even know who the the guys are now, you know, back back in back in that day it was Hulk Hogan and you know, I don't know. Y'all help me out. Now they don't even have that. Now we're into like ultimate cage fighting and I'm like, Lord Jesus, help us. (laughs) I can't even go there. Don't even get me started. (laughs) Oh, Lord. (laughs) Don't even get me started. Help me walk away from it, Lord. Okay, let me stay on task here. I'm not going to go there. Anyways, this is the real word, though, here. It's an athlete. Do you know in, in in the Greek culture, when they, in their wrestling competitions... You know what would happen to the loser? It's important to win. Because the loser in this competition would have both of his eyes gouged out and he would live the rest of his life in blindness. So the people Paul is talking to here, they understand the terminology that Paul is using. They they understand the implication that Paul is, is making here. This isn't a a fake thing. This isn't a make-believe, put-on-a-show thing. This is a for-real thing. Your enemy is really out to get you. But the good news is, we stand where? This is why he started out the way he did. Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Because in the Lord, guess who can't? touch you. Now I didn't say you weren't going to have difficulty in your life. Satan touched Job. But Satan ultimately was powerless against Job because Job was under the lordship under the might and power and strength of God almighty. Even though Job went through horrendous things. God put the limits on what the enemy could do to Job. And don't tell me those things came upon Job because he feared. That is a bunch of hogwash. Those things came upon Job because God allowed them to. You say, well, that's not fair of God. Who are you, O man, to call God unfair? Who? How is the play going to say to the potter, why did you make me or do to me the way you did? We can't we can't go there, church. But here's what we can do. We can absolutely trust in the goodness of our God of power and might. And he has given us an armor and an equipment to stand and to stand firm against The wiles, the schemes, the treachery, the strategy of the enemy. So take up the whole armor. Our enemy is ultimately spiritual in nature. Why does Paul remind us that our battle is not against flesh and blood? Well, to understand this, we need to go back up to the preceding verses. We need to understand the context of this entire letter. In other words, guys, you're not each other's enemy here. Wife, your husband is not your enemy. Husband, your wife is not your enemy. Children, your parents are not your enemy. Even when they do make you obey and you don't want to, they're really not the enemy. It's your temptation to disobey. That temptation to disobey your parents that's when you need to really begin to discern who your enemy is and what your enemy is doing. Ah, oh, you don't have to obey. You don't have to listen to what they say. Well, where do you think that comes from? It don't come from God. Or a husband that says to himself, you know, I would do that for my wife, but, you know, she, she hasn't done anything for me lately. You know, I think I'll just teach her a lesson. I'm just going to make her do that herself. I'll just teach her a lesson. You think that came from God? Now, we can say that comes out of our fallen nature, and it does. But, but you see, this is what the enemy uses against us. The enemy doesn't have to create anything to use against us. The devil is not a creator. God's the only creator. He doesn't have to create anything to use against us because we have a fallen nature. And if we're redeemed and we don't have a fallen nature anymore, we got a mind that's not completely redeemed to the new nature yet. So we've got all that stinking thinking from the old man still up here in our mind. Right. And so that devil knows exactly how you think. Because he's the author of that nature. So he knows how to push every button. He knows exactly what to say. Your life is an open book to him. He's seen how you react and act in every situation. And so he just pushes those buttons that are already there in your life. Now, what are you going to give place to? Are you going to give place to him and revert back to the old man? Or are you going to submit to the spirit of God and walk as children of light and walk in the spirit and stand against God? The enemy who is coming against you trying to get you to live out of, act out of, think out of that old nature. Well, Paul says, look, don't take it out on your flesh and blood. Understand that your enemy is not flesh and blood, it's power and principality. But who pays the price when we act out of our old man, our old nature? I mean, you know, you've heard the phrase, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, it goes the same for daddy. When daddy ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So if I come in in a bad mood in my house and everybody's all festive and in a good mood, and guess what happens if I walk in the door and I'm in a bad mood and I'm slamming things around and I'm, raw, 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 I've just affected everybody's mood in the house, haven't I? You say, well, you know, I'm, uh, so who just fell victim to my, sinful behavior, all the flesh and blood around me. So why am I taking it out of my flesh and blood? You know, my family's going to use this sermon against me <laughs> probably in the days and weeks to come, but that's all right. But seriously, I, I got to remember, we got to remind ourselves, it's, flesh and blood's not our enemy. We're not called to hate the world, the people in the world. We hate the world system. But I don't hate the sinner. God didn't hate him. So how can I hate him? Matter of fact, I was a sinner and God loved me and God saved me in my sinfulness. So what right do we have to hate sinners and to hate those people outside of Christ? We have no right to hate them. Now, we call sin, sin, and we don't compromise our message. And they may perceive that as hate, but that's not hate. Far different. Matter of fact, that might be the. The greatest love anyone's exercised toward them to tell them the truth. Because if they don't know the truth, they can't be set free. And so here we are. Commanded to take up this armor, this once and for all command that you may do what? That you may withstand. That you may withstand. In the evil day and having done all. To stand. The end of everything we're going to talk about here is to stand, is to hold our ground, is to not let the temptation and the sins and the things that are cast our way, that are put before us, that those things would not allow us, that those things would not cause us to lose ground, to take flight, to give, but but we're called to stand. So take once and for all. We don't put it on and off every day. You don't take it off before you go to bed and put it on when you get up in the morning. That's not the picture Paul is giving us here. This is a lifestyle we live in always. You don't jump in and out of Christ. You're you're either in him or you're not in him. If you're in him, you're in his strength. You're possessed by his power and might. The idea here is that this armor is something we're commanded to take off, take up. And the command to take it off and to put it down has not come to us. There is no command to put it down. The command is take it up, put it on. And there is no command to take it off. So this isn't a thing, you know, don't, don't get upset if you leave the house and you didn't, you know, quote the scripture. That, that's not what this is. It's a reality I live in. It's just, it's just part of who I am. It's part of my understanding. Okay, so there's an evil day. The evil day. This is, he's talking about a day, a real day. And I believe that every believer, every believer is going to have to withstand. There is an evil day in the life of every, maybe more than one evil day. Huh. Have you ever had a day where you just felt like all hell came against you? Oh, thank you. This is driving me nuts. Okay. Sorry about that. The little clip just disappeared. It's terrible. All right, so this evil day. There is an evil day of onslaught for every believer to withstand, and having done all, to stand. To stand in what? To stand in truth. This is what this is about. Okay, so let's let's begin in verse 14, and let's talk about the armor. Stand, therefore. Here's how Paul begins this verse, and he tells us, he describes to us this armor. What's interesting, he, he describes it in a way that's very, uh, it's very logical. If you are actually going to take this armor and put it on, this is, this is how you would take it up and this is what you would do, more or less. All right, here we go. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, the belt of truth. This belt of truth, the the belt was a very, very important part of the armor. The first thing a soldier would put on was this belt because this belt held everything together. It held his clothes together. It it held his sword. It held his armor. It held everything. And the belt of truth not only held everything together, but it gave the soldier freedom to move because he didn't have to worry about losing everything. It It just kind of held everything together there. It gave him freedom of movement. It gave him liberty to move and to work and to do his warfare. If he didn't have a belt, he'd be in big trouble. And so this is called the belt of truth. Everything hangs on the truth, church. Do you realize that? Everything we do and everything we believe, everything we profess, who we are, it hangs on the truth. If it's not true, then then we don't want it. In our life, everything must hang on the truth. Where is the truth revealed to us right here in this word? So what if you have an experience that is contrary to this word? Do you believe your experience or do you believe the truth, the word? You believe the word. Everything must hang on the truth. But this is not just talking about the word of God. This is also talking about the lifestyle of the believer. This goes to the point of our character, our integrity. So we're out there in the world. What is it the enemy is wanting us to do? He wants us to live, to act, to be contrary to who Christ is. Where are we standing? We stand in Christ. Where are we strong? We're strong in Christ. Where is our witness? Our witness is in Christ. It's all about Christ. And so, the belt of truth, our integrity is important. Why? Because if we lose our integrity, we lose our witness. And it all falls apart. And so, I want you to understand that these these principles, these things in the armor aren't just talking about big spiritual themes. It's also talking about where we live life every day. So how does the enemy come against us? I mean, the picture here is close hand-to-hand combat. The picture here is not we're miles apart, lobbing bombshells at each other. The picture here is close hand-to-hand combat to the point that we might need to get down on the ground and start wrestling, okay? So, I mean, the enemy is in your face and he is thrusting his weapon at you in an effort to to land the fatal blow. Well, he can't do that if you're in Christ, hid in the armor of God. But, But the question is, what about those things that he thrusts before us, how do we react to those? Well, we begin with the belt of truth, and everything's got to be founded in in this. And our integrity is important. Our freedom and our liberty is important. The truth makes us free. It's It's important that we understand what is true and what is not true, or we might get bound up in legalism that we don't need to be bound up in. The second is this, the breastplate of righteousness. Well, the breastplate covers what? Covers your heart, right? So Romans, in Romans, Paul says, says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, for with the, with the heart one believes or one trusts, to what? To righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, we're not righteous because we do righteous things. We're righteous because God has imputed, has imparted to us the righteousness of another. The righteousness, namely, of Christ Jesus. So there is a righteousness that justifies. That is the righteousness of God. But there's also a righteousness that sanctifies. 1 Corinthians one thirty, it says Jesus is our sanctification. But Jesus being our sanctification doesn't mean that we just live our life any way we want to, right? I mean... So in my heart, what's in your heart? A heart of faith will be a heart that desires righteousness. It doesn't mean you do everything righteous all the time. It doesn't mean you make you don't make mistakes because we do make mistakes. We fail constantly. But because Jesus is our justifying righteousness, I'm not punished for my failure. Jesus was already punished for all my failures. But the fact that Jesus was punished for my failures also does not give me a right to continue living in a certain manner. And I say, eh, it's all right. It's okay. It doesn't really matter what I do. Let's, I know I've got an idea. Let's be even more sinful so that the grace of God can abound more. Paul says, God forbid. You guys have missed the point. And so the breastplate of righteousness, yes, it can speak of the justifying righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus... But I believe it also speaks to the righteousness that we are to walk in. So when those those things are thrust at us, when temptation comes to us, when the deceit, the trickery, the strategies of the enemy come to us, how are we going to react? What is in our heart? Has our heart been covered with, protected with his righteousness? No one's looking. I'm going to go ahead and take this. They'll never know. Well, that's true. No human may never know. You may never get caught, but guess what? What just what, what did you just do? There's got to be yeah. I mean, God knows. So, you know, a, a pastor friend of mine once told me. He said, "Character is what a man does in the dark. Character is what a, a man does when no no one is around and no one knows." So it's not good enough just to have a fear of getting caught. It is the righteousness of God in my heart, the breastplate of righteousness. The enemy will test that with you. Go ahead and go ahead and take that. Nobody will know. They don't need that money. People get caught shoplifting at Walmart and they say, I didn't do anything wrong. Walmart's got plenty of money. I need it worse than they do. That's not the point. How much money anybody has is not the point. The point is stealing is wrong. So don't steal because it's wrong. So our hearts, the breastplate of righteousness, not just his sanctifying, justifying righteousness, but but my walking it out righteousness. Not to become righteous, but because I am righteous in him. Not to get saved, but because I am saved. Shod your feet with the gospel of peace, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, this is an interesting thing. We think that this means that our feet are ready to go out and preach the gospel. That's not the picture being painted here. These soldiers aren't going anywhere. Remember, what was the point of the armor? To stand against, to hold our ground. The point of these sandals was not to go out and preach the gospel. So then why are we why are our feet prepared shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? What is the gospel? Again, it's the foundation of everything we are. It's the foundation of the truth of who we are. So what's interesting is these soldiers they had they didn't wear combat boots like soldiers today wear, they wore sandals. And so they would put these sandals on, they would they'd wrap they'd have leather Fongs that you know they'd wrap their feet with and, and tie these sandals. And what they would do is they would put these the bottoms of their sandals would be studded with nails. You know why they were studded with nails? They were studded with nails so that have you ever tried to hold your ground with a pair of flat leather sandals? You ever tried to walk up and down a, a, a dirt hill with just no traction on your shoes? What happens? You slide. So these sandals would have nails studded in the bottom of them so that as they stood there against the onslaught of the enemy, they would literally not be pushed back, but they would be able to hold their ground. Why are our feet to be prepared to be shod with the gospel? Because the gospel, here again, must be the foundation of everything that we do. We're not just to hold any ground. We're not just to hold to anything. We are to hold to the truth. We're to hold to the gospel. And so when the temptation of the enemy comes to try to push me away from the gospel, to try to get me to water down the gospel, to try to get me to compromise the gospel, because after all, you know, that used to be a sin, but in today's culture, that's just an alternative lifestyle. It's just accepted. Well, look, I love... I love everybody. You know, I used to be a salesman. I, I had, I had a, a, a pretty large number of my customers were were gay. I'm going to tell you what they were, they were nicer than most of the people that profess to be Christians. Yeah, I didn't have a problem being friends with them. I didn't have a problem interacting with them. They knew who I was. They knew where I stood. And we would have conversations. And at the end of the day, we would agree to disagree. But I never condemn them. I never judge them. It's not my place to condemn them or judge them. It was my place to love them, though. But it was also my place to tell them the truth. If they ask me, do you believe homosexuality is a sin? I say, yeah, it is. Don't you believe people were just born that way? I said, no, I don't. But even if you were born with that tendency, maybe it's for homosexuality, maybe it's for alcoholism, maybe it's for, you know, physical abuse. We can't use any of those things as excuses to continue in a lifestyle or a behavior that is contrary to the nature of God. And so having your feet shod, having your feet prepared so that you can hold your ground against the onslaught of the enemy. So now we say it's the culture. The culture is putting pressure on the church. Well, you can call it the culture, but the reality is we've believed a lie. We've allowed compromise to come in because we have not shot our feet properly. Maybe because we're afraid we're going to offend too many people. Maybe if I preach that, you know, people won't come to my church. Um, You know, man, I don't want to offend that guy because he gives a lot of money every week. So we'll just pretend like, you know, that's under the radar and it's okay. We just kind of will skirt around that issue. No, we can't do things like that. We can't. And the point of having our feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace is to be able to stand firm in the gospel and to proclaim the gospel firmly, holding fast against the onslaught of the enemy that wants to move me off the gospel, that wants me to compromise. And God is saying, no, hold your ground so next we have the shield of faith the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the enemy this was a big wooden shield about four foot tall about two and a half feet wide it was covered in linen and then covered in leather and so what these guys would do these armies they would they would take their arrows and they'd put tar or pitch and they'd set them on fire and they'd shoot them you've all seen the movies right I mean, who doesn't love Gladiator? I mean, Gladiator's like, besides the Lord of the Rings trilogy, it's like the next best movie ever made. If you've not seen Gladiator, you should watch it. It's really good. It really is good. It's also a great picture of, of, of ancient warfare, you know, and you see these guys releasing these flaming arrows. Well, this is what this is talking about. You have the shield. You get behind that shield, and that shield will quench the fiery darts of the enemy. What do these fiery darts represent? What is the enemy? How does he come at us? How does he attack us? It's the fiery temptations. I mean, the temptations can be anything you can imagine, right? That's the problem. We imagine too many things, right? We let our minds run wild. Instead of doing what Second Corinthians ten three through 5 says, instead of capturing our thoughts, In in incarcerating them and making them obey Christ, we let our thoughts run wild. And then we get the scenario found there in James where we have this thought that's in our mind. And and if it rolls around there long enough, it will conceive. And once it's been conceived, it will eventually give birth. And once it gives birth, it will produce, what, death. And, And you can define that any way you want to. But the reality is we're called to capture our thoughts, not to just let our imaginations run wild. And so these fiery darts, they can come in many forms. It's the shield of faith that will quench those fiery darts. It's my faith that says, you know what? The weapons of my warfare are not carnal. They are mighty. Th- I am not going to let that thought run wild in my head. I'm not going to just entertain this thing, because if I entertain it long enough, my thought's going to turn into a what? An action. I mean, no man that's ever had an adulterous affair on his wife did it without first what? What? It started with a lustful thought, and that lustful thought eventually turned into an action. And, and that applies to anything, anything you want to apply it to. That's how sin works. That's how the devil comes to us to tempt us. The shield of faith to quench those fiery darts of the enemy. And what? what faith what? Again, In my heart, the faith that's in my heart, the faith that God has given me, the faith to stand against, the faith that says that's not who I am. The helmet of salvation. So he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the word of the spirit. He puts these last two pieces of the armor together. Because that helmet was hot, and that soldier did not put that helmet on until he had to. And so you see a progression here, literally, of, of how a soldier would dress in his armor. But the helmet of salvation is important here because just like the breastplate covers the heart, and the feet help us stand firm. This helmet covers what? It covers our head. Who's our head? I mean the very fact the helmet of salvation speaks of Christ our head. It speaks of our mind. Where do the where does the assault of the enemy hit you first? In your mind. If you're fighting a warfare like this, where do you want to land? Where is the fatal blow going to land? More than likely, they're going for the head. So the the helmet of salvation, your mind firm and protected in the knowledge of Christ. Your mind firm so that you're not. In and out. Oh, I had a bad thought today. Man, I I guess I lost my salvation. I need to get saved again. No. See, your, your mind has got to be firm. And you've got to understand who you are in Christ. Christ is not a revolving door that you're coming in and out of based on your behavior. If he saved you and you're in him, then you're in him, honey. And because you're in him... Now, you need to walk as you are in him. You need to stand as you are in him. You need to talk as you are in him. Well, well, I tried that, but I messed up all last week. Okay? So, repent. What's that mean? Change your mind. Change your mind and get back on the road. Get up and go. Go. Because God didn't stop loving you because you messed up last week. Because you were messed up when he loved you to begin with. So why do we think when we mess up after he has extended his love to us that he's going to stop loving us? Doesn't make sense, does it? But guess who wants you to believe that? Your enemy here. Guess what the helmet of salvation does? The helmet of salvation helps you come to a comprehension and understanding that says, you know what? Salvation in Christ is not a revolving door. And so I'm in him. So what am I going to do? I'm going to stand in him. I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to withstand. I'm going to grow in the knowledge of him. I'm going to renew this mind to the salvation that I have in Christ. So your mind firm and protected in the knowledge of Christ. And the last is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of. Of God. It's the only offensive piece of equipment that you've been given. But the point of what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 6 is not for you to go on an offensive. The point is for you to stand against, to withstand, to hold your ground, to dig your feet in and not be moved by the trickery, the deceit, and the strategy of the enemy. To understand that everything you have, is in Christ. It's it's held together by the truth. Everything here speaks of truth. We stand in the truth. We withstand in the truth. And so we see this picture of our warfare here is one of standing against the onslaught that is coming against us. This is why I say we don't need to go out and look for devils. They're, They're coming to you, okay? The enemy's coming at you. But the good news is, let him come all he wants. God has given you his armor. Now, there's a big difference. Saul gave David his armor, and David couldn't use it. The armor God gives you is God's armor, but I promise you, this ain't like Saul's armor, okay? Well, God, you're too big. I can't wear your armor. It doesn't fit. No, this armor fits you. You're, you're in it. You're hid in it. You're enveloped in it. And you're to stand in it and to fight in it. And your victory is assured. This isn't a picture of a standing victorious. This is a picture of a standing against an onslaught. But do we know that we are victorious? Do you know that you're victorious, church? You absolutely are. We know the enemy is not going to overcome you. Why? Because God promised. But is there an importance of standing firm, even though we know victory? I mean, if we all know we're victorious, then why don't we just all go and, you know, have a cool glass of tea and kick our feet back and wait until, you know, God's going to do what he's going to do. Uh Uh-uh. Because what? We have a responsibility. We've been commanded to put it on and take it up. We've been commanded to stand against, to withstand, to hold our ground. Now, verse 18, praying always. Now, prayer is not part of your equipment. Prayer is is what we do as believers. Prayer is part of holding our ground. It's not the equipment we hold the ground with, but praying always is part of holding our ground. But what are we doing? Look what it says. Praying always with all prayer for all the saints. Praying always, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. What is that? It's a mind and an attitude of prayer. It's, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to spend four hours on the floor every day praying at a specific time, but do you live your life with an attitude of prayer in the midst of everything you're doing all the time? I'm not talking about being goofy or mystical, but I mean, while you're working your job, you know, does your mind go to the Lord? Does your mind go to the things of God? Do you think about maybe friends or family or people or situations? And you just, you just lift those things up to the Lord. It doesn't have to be a mechanical thing. It should just become an organic lifestyle that we live. Pray with all prayer in the spirit. That word in the spirit does not mean that you're praying in tongues. That word in the spirit means you're not praying in the flesh. You're not praying according to the flesh and the carnal mind. That means you're praying under the guidance and in the power of the spirit. This isn't your prayer. This isn't your good idea. This is the will of God that we're declaring. Well, how do I know what the will of God is? Well, get in the word. It's all right here. Begin to declare the word. Begin to pray the word. Begin to in the spirit. That means I'm not praying what I desire. I'm not doing my own thing. I am praying according to the spirit of God. According to the counsel of God. According to the wisdom of God. Praying always with all prayer for all saints in the spirit. Prayer. I want to end with this for all the saints. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Why are we commanded to stand against for ourselves or for all the saints? Why are we commanded to withstand the onslaught of the enemy? For ourselves in our own situation, my four and no more, or for all the saints? See, if we begin to realize that what we do, the lives we live, have an effect on all the saints, on the church. Because we're not separate from one another, we're united In one another, we stand as one praying for all the saints, praying for, you notice he said praying for not tearing down, but praying for building up. The saints building up the body of Christ, this is this is the picture he how do we know that's what he's talking about, because this is exactly what he pictures us in Ephesians four, look at four sixteen from whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. There is a picture of the body of Christ building itself up in love. And Paul is affirming that here. We stand firm, we withstand, we hold our ground for the sake of all the saints praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit for all the saints to build up, to strengthen the body, to stand as one in Christ. Be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, for the church, for the church. What we do is not just for ourselves, it is for the church. Our prayers are not just for ourselves. Prayer, with all prayer in general, and supplications, and those special requests and petitions that apply to us directly. Both are relevant, but we do all for the sake of all the saints. Our warfare is for the sake of all the saints just like our prayers are for the sake of all the saints. To stand, to hold our ground, to stand against the onslaught of the enemy. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Amen? All right, we're going to stop right there because it's 12 o'clock. And I want to pray for Amy. Can I pray for you?